Good morning, good morning, good morning. Welcome to the final chapel of the year. Seniors, all both of you, thank you for being here. I know, good job, good job. Here we go. Would you please stand for the pledge and our theme verse for one last time, all right? Let's pledge. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. 2 Corinthians 13, 11, here we go. Are you ready? <laughs> Seniors, you can really say this today. You close with these last words, right? Dear brothers and sisters, I close with these last words. Be joyful, grow to maturity, encourage each other, live in harmony and peace, and then the God of love and peace will be with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we are grateful uh, for the things you have taught us this year. Father, you, you are constantly interacting with us. So, so many times we miss the things that you're doing around us. We're distracted by a lot of things. Uh, but that, Father, there, there are still things that maybe uh, you have taught many of us in this room this year, uh, things about your, your nature, your patience, your mercy, your forgiveness, uh, your direction, your guidance, your wisdom. Uh, Father, I thank you for the things that you taught us uh, sometimes on the mountaintop, but Father, also some of the times that uh, the things you taught us even through difficult things. Uh, Father, I pray for the person in here who right now maybe is going through uh, a difficult time. I pray that um, you would use those around them uh, to encourage them and support them. Uh, I pray you speak through Mr. Masters today as he finishes out our year. Uh, it's in your son's name we ask this. Amen. If you would, go ahead, take a seat if you would. And usually what we do... Um, usually what we do is, <laughs> usually what we do uh, at, at uh, the first, if you, know, if you remember this, if you're keeping track at the end of, um, I'm sorry, at the beginning of second semester, we always have Mr. Masters come in and kind of give us a halftime speech, kind of fire us up for second semester. Uh, and we always have him close it out every year as well. And so this is... Um, this is no different. So, let me introduce our speaker today. Uh, our speaker today is one of the most Christ-like people I've ever met. Uh, I have had two jobs in my life, and I've had one boss. I have. I've worked for Mr. Masters for over 30 years. I have seen him uh, through great times, and I've seen him through incredibly painful times in he and his family's life. He's one of the most forgiving, most kind, most patient, most wise, most bold, most courageous, most humble people that I know. He's an incredible husband. He's been an example of that to me for over 30 years. He's an incredible parent. He's an incredible grandparent. I hope you can say this about your boss someday, but... Um, He's not only my boss, he's my friend. He is. And so, our speaker today is Mr. Masters. Let's give it up for Mr. Masters as he comes today. Thank you, sir. That was an excessive introduction. Thank you, Mr. Berger. While we're sharing enthusiasm, I want to take a moment to say, Timothy is instructed by Paul what you've been given in trust to faithful men. And so I want you to pause to reflect on the fact that Mr. Berger, who's moving on from here, 
has been given a task to share what he's been entrusted, and he's been faithfully doing that through your careers here at BA and many more. He's been boldly proclaiming the hope that he has in the gospel. The Bible says to always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that lies within you. And I hope you've picked up some of that sitting at his feet and listening and watching him among other faithful folks here in the school. And I just appreciate Mr. Berger for his willingness to continue to challenge us to see Christ and to pursue Christ. And so I just want to take a moment to ask you to join me as we pray for him as he goes on from here to serve in other places this year. We can give him a round of applause after I pray for him, but let's pray together for God's blessing on him as he goes. Lord, thank you for Ryan Berger, for his faithfulness, for his love for you, and for the way that that's translated into opening his mouth to make known the mystery of the gospel boldly. And I just pray that you'll continue to give him uh, the power of your spirit to proclaim your name and to lift you up, to encourage others in their faith, to continue to hold up the word of God and to offer hope to those who need it. Lord, thank you that our hope is in you. And so we trust for not only Mr. Berger, but others going on for seniors graduating and others moving on to other areas of service, that you've prepared a path for each one and you have a purpose. So bless us in this chapel. Help us to hear your voice. And then as we go on from here, help our trust to be in you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Please join me in thanking Mr. Berger and congratulating him for his service. In this final chapel, I want to talk about what you see. And I want to talk about what you see in the context of what you choose to see. I want to start with giving you a little bit of a back story and then to share a brief glimpse into something where I didn't see clearly, but I see a little more clearly now as I look back. And then I want to talk about the story of David and Goliath, a familiar story, but with a focus on what people saw, what David saw and what others saw. Most of you may know I grew up in Indonesia on the big island above Australia that used to be called Dutch New Guinea and then later was called West Irian Indonesia or Irian Jaya, then later and more recently called Papua. The right side of the island as we look at the globe is Papua and New Guinea, an Australian protectorate. The left side belongs to Indonesia, the 13,000 island country spread across the Pacific. So my parents went over there. They'd been in Bible school after college. They felt God's call to share the hope of the gospel to people who had not heard. They joined a mission called Regions Beyond Missionary Union. There's a hymn that talks about to the regions beyond I must go, where the story has never been told. So my parents decided they would go and share the hope of the gospel to people who'd never heard. So they went over by ship across the, the Pacific to Sydney, Australia, flew by DC-3 to Hollandia, which was a small town on the coast of Dutch New Guinea, and then by single-engine airplane, Mission Aviation Fellowship airplane, up into the mountains to Karuba, a place where other, other missionaries had come in and built an airstrip already. From there... My dad and mom began to learn the language. I learned the language as a kid, just running around playing. Um, and my dad was tasked 
with a couple other missionaries of going to start a new mission station. There was a mission station called Ninja, and by air, about 15 minutes flight away, there was a big bowl-shaped valley with five villages around it. It looked like you could fit an airstrip down the middle of the valley. The mountains had a gap in it where it looked like you could turn the plane and land on the, on the airstrip, if there were an airstrip there. There wasn't an airstrip, but my dad and uh, Stan Dale decided to walk in or were tasked to walk in. It took them seven days to walk through the mountains. Uh, the jungle was thick. They had to go up over mountains and down, cross rivers, up over mountains. I've told some stories about that trip before. But the point is, my dad arrived at the bowl-shaped valley, tried to establish the fact that they were friendly. The people there, as many other places, carried around bows and arrows. They were warlike. If you weren't, if you were a stranger, you were an enemy. If they shot and killed you, they would take you home if they could and eat the body. And so, you know, there were, there were certain risks involved. But they didn't kill my dad and the other missionary there. And my dad uh, began to learn the language and then talked people into flattening out an area big enough for an airstrip, which seemed crazy to those Stone Age people. But they got them working on it. Took a while. Eventually, an airstrip was built. And we came in by plane, landed. My dad had built a house. So he built it out of poles for the frame of the wall. There are no two-by-fours for sale down at the local lumberyard. No sawmill, poles, long grass like a thatched roof, well, thatched side, bark floor. First, first person up in the morning starts the fire. We were almost a mile high, so it was cold in the mornings. It was always my dad, by the way, but he'd start the fire and have his devotions. So I grew up there. My parents learned the language. We had running water because my dad fenced off a spring where water came out of the ground uphill from us, put a plastic tube, plastic uh, hose down to a tank up on the stilts outside our kitchen. Running water, voila, outhouse for the bathroom. So we found our own entertainment, no TV, no radio, nothing uh, particular to work in, no Xbox for sure, uh, no cell phones. We found our own entertainment. So it's in this context, five villages, Durum, Manengmok, Yamduasak, and so on around us. The people were treating us as friendly. They weren't shooting at us or anything, but they fought in our yard occasionally because that was neutral territory. So I've seen people shooting arrows at each other in our yard. My sister and I, my older sister Chrissy and I, were just out playing around, and we'd gone down a river valley, a little, little creek, up the other side, and here was this all over the place interesting stuff. Huge rock outcroppings and all the gardens were piles of uh, sweet potatoes, so they would just turn over the head-high grass, turn it over, turn it over, turn it over, pile it up, the dirt on the outside, smooth it over so it's kind of sealed in there. It's a big compost heap, basically. And then stick potato vines in the side. They just explode, get sweet potatoes all over. So working for your dinner means going out with a stick and poking in that big, huge pile until you hit a potato, pull it out, leave the vines there, keeps growing. Well, those big mounds were pretty springy. Here's where it comes into play. This big rock outcropping, about as tall as the top of that, those bleachers there, uh, off the other side of it, off this side of it, uh, there were gardens down below if you jumped out far enough. So Chrissy and I ran up to the top, leaped off, whoa, into the garden. 
cushiony. And back around, we were just having a grand old time, leaping off <laughs> into the garden. And we noticed something interesting. That rock wall, the face of that huge boulder in the side of the hill, had some skulls in it. There was other interesting stuff. There was red moss down the front of it. That was cool, but there were skulls sitting on little ledges on the rock. So skulls of humans, not animals. By the way, how can you tell the difference between the skull of an ancestor and the skull of an enemy? The skull of the enemies have a hole in the side because they ate the brains, of course. Simple. So you can tell enemy skull, ancestor skull. Ancestor skulls, just on the ledge. I thought, that's cool. It wasn't really shocking because all of the huts, the men's huts, had skulls around the outside. So it was not a strange idea to see a skull, a person's skull. But there they were. And there was kind of a little rock ledge, not big, smaller than this piece right here. Just a little rock garden sort of thing, a, a wall. And so we were in there playing and looking at the, at the uh, skulls. And Manning, one of the chiefs of the village, of a village near us, came down over the hill and he was looking like this, looking around, and he looked mad. And they'd never threatened us or anything, but he was yelling at us, Mem, Mare, Mare. But he was doing it like he was trying to hide something. And he pushed us, they don't usually touch your head, and they, he pushed us down, he had his bow and arrow in one hand, pushed my head down and pushed us down the hill toward the creek not on a path, and he was looking around, and he pushed us down the hill, kept saying, Mem, Marais, and looking around. We got down to the river, and he said, go back to your house. That's forbidden. What's the big deal? I was about fifth grade, maybe, something like that. What was going on? I had no idea. He was upset. Maybe it was, I thought at first, maybe because we were jumping in the potato gardens, right, smushing somebody's garden. Not very thoughtful. But he was really angry. It turns out that in this culture, warlike as it is, God had planted this notion of a place of refuge. So if you shot and killed somebody or you were in a fight by somebody's village and you were running away and you got hurt or couldn't go very fast, if you got to one of these spots with the skulls and outlined by the rocks, you were safe, home free. They would take you to your place. They wouldn't kill you. But if someone stepped in there other than an initiated warrior, they had to be put to death. It was a sacred spot. And if you saw that and didn't put somebody to death, you deserve to die because you're messing with the, the significance of this place. So here Manning saw us, realized we ought to be killed, took mercy on us, took us down over the hill, and he was looking around because he could have been held to account for not killing us. I didn't realize that for years afterwards, I didn't understand. Later on, another missionary explained what was going on there. So here I am. I'm alive because Manning didn't do what he saw needed to be done. I didn't see what was going on there. Had no clue. I was an idiot. I was in danger and didn't recognize it, but someone stepped in to save my life. Go back to David's situation. You know the story of David and Goliath. That's a really familiar one. But I want you to think about what you see. I have glasses on. Helps me focus 
for reading something close. Uh, it helps a little bit for reading far. Uh, balancing the two, there's a progressive lens there. So I can change where my focus is. But you know, vision is a tricky thing, and sometimes you don't see things very clearly when you need to. You still have to choose to focus for your eyes to work. Here's David. He's a young guy. He's been shepherd. He's had some success. In fact, when the king was upset, he came and played the harp, but he went back to tending sheep. And at some point, his older brothers, he had seven of them, but three of them were off to war. And the Philistine army, big, massive army trying to invade Israel and take over, had come up and camped on a hill, and on the other hill was Israel. And instead of just duking it out to start with, a huge, massive warrior stepped out, nine feet tall or so. His, they say the head of his spear was 15 pounds or so, just decked out in armor. He would step out and taunt them and say, you guys are idiots, I'm going to slaughter you. Pick somebody, pick anybody. If you defeat me, we'll be your servants. But if I defeat you, you'll be our servants. Come on, what's wrong with you? Afraid to fight? Huh, huh, huh. And guess what? The Israelites were afraid to fight. The Bible says they trembled in fear. They backed away. They were looking around. Who's going to deal with this issue? Day after day, they'd step out. And the Philistine Goliath would taunt them. Your God's nothing. We're going to slaughter you. We're going to wipe you out. We're going to feed you to the birds. David's dad sends David up to where the armies are camped out to check on his brothers. Sends him with some bread for his brothers. Sends him with some cheese for the captain, the commander. And so he takes it on in there. Take this stuff, the grain and the bread. Take the cheese to the commander. See how your brothers are. Bring back some assurance. Tell me they're doing okay. So David goes up there, runs to the battle line to greet his brothers, and he sees Goliath step out and taunt God, shouting his defiance. And once again, the Israelite army backs away. They're scared. And David says, what's going on? He's coming out to defy Israel. And his friends say, hey, the king will give a lot of money. He'll make you rich if you take care of this problem. Anyone who does that. Plus, he'll give his daughter in marriage. He'll be part of the king's family. Just solve this problem. David says, well, why isn't anyone dealing with this? Remember, David's the youngest brother. He's been off tending sheep. He wasn't a soldier. People look at him and say, what are you talking about? He said, somebody ought to deal with this. This guy's challenging God. So he didn't see it just as a threat to Israel. He said, he's taunting God. Don't you see it? His brothers looked at him and said, you prideful person, you conceited idiot. Go back and tend sheep. His older brothers looked down on him. What did they see? Somebody too young to make a difference. Somebody who was arrogant because he said, somebody needs to deal with this. Get on out of here. So David turned to somebody else. Said, what's the deal? How come no one's stepping up? And they explained, well, somebody's got to deal with it, but no one's stepping up. And so what does David say? Youngest brother, he's not in the army been tending sheep. He's bringing food. David says, I'll take care of this. He's defying God. So Saul hears about it, and Saul sees him, this young guy, and says, hey, 
you need some equipment. Let me give you my armor. Let me give you my cloak, my sword, my spear. Load him up. What did Saul see? Somebody who needed some weapons and equipment to deal with the problem. David said, these don't fit me. This isn't what this is about. Besides, God's not going to deliver by the sword or the spear. It's God who's going to solve this problem. So David sees something a little differently. First of all, instead of backing up in fear, he's seeing, hey, this guy's not just causing a problem for somebody. He's challenging God. And then I think I can do something about this. Why would a guy think that? Well, God's given him a viewpoint that's a little different than others. And so he gives up the sword and the spear to go out and fight this guy. And he goes down, you know the story, he goes down to the stream, and what does he pick out of the stream? Five smooth stones. And he goes out, and here's Goliath taunting him, says, what are you? Some little wimp coming at me. He had a staff also coming out with sticks to beat me. I'll crush you. I'll feed you to the birds. Goliath saw somebody of no consequence. So what does David do? The contrast is amazing. Everybody else, the whole army's backing away. And what does David do? He runs toward Goliath. Goliath's laughing to himself. He's turned to his friends and says, look at this guy. Watch this. And you know the story. David puts a stone in the sling. By the way, he'd had some success working on this little sling. He'd killed a lion. He'd killed a bear trying to get after the sheep. That's what he said to Saul. You see me as a shepherd. I've been in stuff. I've dealt with issues. There was no cheering crowd. But I've been prepared for this moment. So he went out with just a rock and a sling By the way, that's a weapon of war, just so you know. But Goliath didn't see that. Here comes David. Whips out a rock. Hits Goliath in the head. He falls down. The enemy is shocked. But David doesn't stop there. He goes up, takes Goliath's sword, and cuts off his head. That's nothing. Watch this. By the way, Where was Goliath's army? They were still there. They were watching. David steps in right in front of their army, cuts off the guy's head, and holds it up. And their army freaks out and runs. And now what does the army of Israel do? Do they see anything different? Yes, because they run after the other army. There's still an army and an army. What changed? One person, little brother, shepherd, says, you're insulting God. God's going to deal with this issue, and I'm put in this place to do it. David saw something different. Now the whole people of Israel see something different, and they chase after. His line was, you come at me with a sword and spear, but I come at you In the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel. Think about that when you see the circumstances you're in. What is it that you're bringing? What is it that God's equipped you to do? 
And if it's just how good you are with the sling, if it's just how good you are with the sword, you might not be seeing the whole picture because God's positioning you to do something in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel. So the people chase after it, defeat the army. And of course, the rest of the story goes on. David becomes king of Israel. Not a perfect man, full of his own sin, uh, but a man after the heart of God. David saw things that other people didn't see. People saw things they shouldn't have seen. They misinterpreted what they did see. But what they saw changed when they saw David step out and kill Goliath. The army suddenly saw that the other army could be defeated. Both armies saw that. Just an interesting talk of its own. Both armies saw something different when one person stepped out to deal with a situation. One person stood up for what's right. There are a lot of roles you might play. You might be Manning who steps in knowing that someone's in danger and you move them out of that danger. Might be like us, clueless, but somebody's around you that's stepping in to help you see things differently or at least to help you to move away from the stuff that could kill you. Could be like David, prepared without knowing it to recognize that someone's defying God, challenging you to step in. Every single day, you're in a position now where others might not recognize it. You're young, so you're the little brother. Hey, who are you? I'm a, I'm a warrior. You're just a shepherd. But God's positioning you to step in. My prayer is that God will open your eyes that you will see. Joshua 24:15 has this great line, Joshua is talking about you having to make a decision today, and he says, you could choose these other things, but you got to choose today. Choose for yourself. you got to choose this day. I think I've sung this song to you before, a little catchy tune. you got to choose this day who you're going to serve. Choose this day who you're going to serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua 24, 15, you got to choose this day who you're going to serve. Could go on and on. Nope. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> no recording contract there. You got to choose this day whom you're going to serve. Choosing depends on what you see. Take a look. May God open your eyes. In, in uh, just the story of Elisha, as kind of a wrap up here, Elisha's in a position where he's surrounded by enemy folks because they've heard that he's given away their secrets and they can't trick Israel or capture or ambush Israel. So they're coming to get Elisha. And Elisha's servant sees all this. He says, what are we going to do? And Elisha doesn't tell him. He just prays and asks God. Well, he does say, those that are for us are greater than those against us. And then he has this simple prayer. Lord, open his eyes that he may see. And that's my prayer for you. For you seniors as you finish the year, that God will open your eyes, that God will continue to let you see what he sees. God will let you see the opportunities and the challenges, that he'll let you see them in the right way to recognize that it's not just challenging you or your friends, it's challenging God and God's authority and God's purpose and plans, that God will give you a boldness because he opens your eyes. So that's my prayer. Lord, open our eyes that we can see. Uh, see what you're up to, and then be willing to step in and trust you as you've positioned us to speak up for you. May God bless you as you finish the year. I'm going to pray again for us.
and ask that very thing. And I'll just ask you to pray that prayer for yourself, would you, before I pray, that God open my eyes that I can see, see myself as I should see myself, see others as I should see them, but maybe mostly see you as I should see you. Pray for a moment and I'll close. Lord, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, I just ask your blessing on each one here. May you open our eyes to see clearly. Help us to see you more clearly. Help us to see ourselves as you see us. Lord, I pray that as we face the coming days, just the opportunities to demonstrate what we've learned, help us to recognize that you're not only equipping us for the future, preparing us for what you have us to do, but you're also positioning us today to choose to serve you, positioning us to be able to speak boldly, to share the hope that we have in you. Lord, increase our faith and increase our hope. May our hope always be in you and not the circumstance. And I just pray your blessing on those that are dealing with tough situations here, dealing with health issues or loss, challenges, uncertainty. Lord, the future's in your hands. We know that you have a purpose for each of us and that you will provide what we need. So again, Lord, open our eyes that we may see. In Jesus' name, amen.